afternoon, universe, and welcome to Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition, breaking down the stronghold, bad opinions, and false notions of the enemy, and setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and together we are studying Christian dogma, devoted to the belief that when God speaks, He does so in order that we speak His Word back to Him. St. Paul exhorts all Christians to hunger for the truth, to watch your life and doctrine closely, to persevere in them. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead will turn aside to suit their own desires, gathering around them a great number of teachers to teach what their itching ears want to hear. You, however, Christian, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. I got two brothers in arms with me today to discuss this doctrine, this good word, uh, brothers in arms and brothers in reality, Pastor Samuel Body of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Aberdeen, South Dakota, and his brother, Pastor Jacob Bobby of First Trinity Lutheran Church in Bloomfield, Nebraska. Welcome, gentlemen. Oh, thank you very much. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. So uh, I, I know uh, Pastor Sam uh, <laughs> has shared a little bit about Aberdeen last time, but uh, oh, Jacob, do you mind just sharing with everybody a little bit about what it's like to serve in uh, kind of Nebraska, kind of South Dakota? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Bloomfield is about a uh, half an hour south of of Yankton, South Dakota. Uh, it's a um, small town, eleven hundred people, uh, which is twice as big as the town I grew up in. Uh, so, uh, it's it's familiar, <laughs> and um, it's a uh, congregation of about uh, three hundred and fifty uh, confirmed, four hundred uh, so baptized members, and um, yeah, agriculture uh, is a big part of of our community. Uh, we have farmers, we have a chicken farm with something like 4 million chickens running around. Jeez, that's a lot of chickens. Town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that employs uh, quite a few folks and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's small town rural, uh, Midwest. And so if you know what that is, then, then you know what I'm, I'm, uh, the context, what you're dealing with. So are, um, are you a, a history and philosophy buff like your brother is? Yeah, yeah, maybe not to the same degree, uh, but uh, yeah, we're we're cut from similar cloth, probably. There, I think, uh, uh, you know, Sam's, you know, been a big influence in my uh, life. So I've uh, we've we've tended to enjoy reading and studying the same things, and and I attribute we, much of my desire to learn from his desire to learn. So we we were on the same debate team in college. How how many brothers get to do that? That's yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. Most guys are proud to be on yeah. the same basketball team, but you nerds are on the same debate team. That's great. Yeah. Not quite as athletic, but uh Yeah. I mean, uh Sam's a big dude though. I imagine he could uh hold his own on some quarter field or somewhere. Yeah, I, I think so. That was always a benefit of having a, a big, big older brother. So So uh, I mean you wanna jump jump in on that one more thing? Say one more thing, Sam, or just uh move to the real stuff? We'll move to the real stuff. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. Don't want don't to embarrass yourself too much with the stories of glory from of old. So, right, 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 yeah. right. Well, so Peeper has moved from setting up the idea of truth, the idea of Scripture being the foundation of what we believe, uh, from Jesus, obviously, into the idea of there, there being really two religions then in the world, the one founded on Scripture and the one not, but they actually distinguish themselves in a different way. They also distinguish themselves as being the religion of grace, that's the one founded on Scripture, and the religion of works, that's what man just comes up with whenever he has to come up with a religion at all. He says, I'm going to be spiritual, not religious, and what do you know? He comes up with a religion of works. And now we're going to move into a new section, uh, section 5, beginning on page 21, 
in which he's going to talk about that there are also divisions within visible Christendom. So you have to distinguish between Christianity and Christendom and the traditions of Christianity that, that make up what we see as the visible church. And he's going to talk about what the cause of those divisions are. And as we're going to see, and you could probably guess, what's going to be the cause of division in visible Christendom? It's going to be the religion of works. Always trying to go back to teaching what our flesh, humanity, would rather believe, the opinion of the law written on our fallen hearts by us, as opposed to... Well, the good news, the gospel, which is kind of the good news from the beginning, from the creation before the fall, that God is a giving God and wants to provide all that we need, that our works in that regard don't earn us anything, but are simply just part of being who he has made us to be. So picking up then there at the bottom of page 21, Pieper says this, he says, it is nothing strange that the non-Christian religions which seek to reconcile God through human works appear in well-nigh countless diverse forms for these works do not bring peace to to the conscience and the inevitable result is that men keep on devising new works and new forms of worship that accounts say the lutheran confessions for the most multiplicity and diversity of the religions of the law the apology states and because no works pacify the conscience new works in addition to god's commands were from time to time devised so uh, say that again this isn't a strange thing that there's like tons and tons and tons of religions in the world because ultimately the religion of the law doesn't work. It never satisfies the conscience. And so you get bored with it or you get bothered by it. And you're like, I got to find something new. And you end up starting a new religion. And then our apology, our confessions state the reason for this again, frankly, because works can't justify. And so you're left trying to find something to do. And that's exactly what we see when we look at the world. Yeah, what a life to live, right? I mean, <laughs> talk about banging your head against the wall because what, what he kind of sets up here is that, I mean, we as pragmatic sinners want things that work and you do the works of the law and what happens? It doesn't work. And you would think maybe at some point along the line it might occur to us like, hey, um, this isn't working. Maybe there's something else. But of course he points that out. We'll never go there. But the reality is it doesn't work. So you just kind of keep coming up with like he says, new forms of worship, new new ways of trying to, to satisfy what it is that we're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and uh, not only new new works and new forms of worship, but but new gods. You know, I think this probably describes well yeah. the the creation of a pantheon of gods. It's like, well, I got this god. Oh, well, that's not working. So I got this god, and uh, now I need this god as well. And uh, you end up. Yeah, not being able to satisfy the conscience with any of the gods that you've created or the works that you are to do in order to, you know, uh, satisfy them. And so you are just put back to being creative, I guess. Yeah, so the the, the, uh, the the dance I did by the river didn't stop the storms, and so now I've got to offer some some grain to the tree. That didn't work. Maybe I'll throw my daughter into the volcano that one didn't work either. What next? Hey, science, right? Hey, medicine. Hey, philosophy. I mean, they all kind of fall into the same boat, ultimately. Ways that we're trying to, and I love the language of our confessions, pacify the conscience, right? Trying to make my own internal monologue shut up <laughs> and, and stop accusing me, and none of it, none of it works. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of that movie. It's back in the 90s, The Mummy, and one of the guys, he wears like a chain, and on, and on that, he's got like 
symbols from like all the world religions and he's getting stalked by his mom and he keeps trying to hold one up like which one of these is gonna work which one of these is gonna work and finally he gets it to stop at the star of david because this mummy's from egypt and he recognizes that it's jewish but i mean that just is so kind of i think uh uh summarizes kind of how we kind of approach uh religion in general like which one of these is gonna work but i sometimes think too it kind of also means how do you define works because what I almost hate to see is when people start investing themselves in whatever kind of new spirituality presents itself in their life or somebody who's influenced them. And it gets them to a certain comfortable point because then it's as though they feel like they've got something when actually they're being deceived. And that can be worse almost for two reasons. Number one, just because the deception itself is bad. But, but secondly, when it does fail – the fallout's going to be that much more the worse because they have invested so much in it and they you know had had thought this is going to give me the kind of comfort and security that I'm looking for because people find themselves very complacent and comfortable up until either their conscience fails them or evil of some kind in, 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 you know imposes itself upon them or they're facing death you know so i think that's a, another kind of comp, uh, component of what's going on here yeah and and um well, it also brings up the point is is in our day and age, um, how much how much are people uh, how much are their consciences bothering them anymore? Hmm. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I I you know I wonder sometimes uh, if if folks are wrestling with their consciousness or that they have invested themselves in a worldview where to the degree their conscience tries to say anything they have. They have a way of muting it or, or, you know, giving it an opiate of some, of some, uh, type of religious form, whether that be from Christianity or not, you know, um, we certainly can drown it in entertainment and, and we do a good job of trying to do that. And yet it, it, that reminds me of a story uh, this, several times I've seen this, maybe you guys have never seen this, but well, what I would be called to the, the deathbed of a member and this would be, it didn't matter. Good member bad member. Seems like it happened a lot, right. though. Um, and I get there, and they proceed to try to tell me how their life was worth it after all. Uh, Pastor, yeah. I'm so glad you're here. I just I want you to meet my children. See, they're great. None of them go to church anymore, but they're all wonderful. I'm so happy that they <laughs> live the life they want to live. And I think I just, I think I did everything I needed to do. I, I, I lived the life I wanted. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I've got to somehow now forgive your sins, but yeah. you are you're telling me you don't have any, right? And it, but, but the reason they're telling me they don't have any is not because they're apathetic. They're trying yeah. to justify their conscience in that last moment. They're so afraid of dying unfulfilled that they've got to give everything on the table as if they're at judgment day already saying, look how good I did. Yeah, that's interesting because that, that is a, a line that people try to take. And you also see it in BIG's, you know, celebrations of life. Right. Um, as opposed to focusing on our true hope, which is the life that we have in Christ, because that's a hope that doesn't fail. I mean, that is a certainty upon which we can stand. But what you do is you focus back on, you know, the celebrations of the person's life. And I th I agree. I think that what you have going on there is just an end around self-justification, um, trying to say, look, this was all worth it. This is all good. But what's so ironic about that, right, is and now it's all ending. Right, right. <laughs> right. I mean, right. where's 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 the hope in this again? I mean, it's all ending. And maybe you think, you know, maybe you've conceived this in such a way that, oh, I'm going to this great, you know, 
fly with grandma around the Big Rock Candy Mountain kind of a place. Uh, which, okay, even if you grant that, what about all the people you left behind? Yeah. Uh, it just, you start examining and poking around on that, and it quickly turns uh, uh, from, I think, comfort and hope to what it actually is, it, and that's I mean, just kind of empty self-justification. Yeah, it really doesn't even matter. Like, the, like the, the, the atheist, and I don't want to beat up on atheism here, but, but the atheist standing at the deathbed of his grandmother is not rejoicing that the survival of the fittest is taking its toll on the species and we're going to progress toward a better world. Uh, the, the, the Norse uh, pagan is drinking himself out of his mind because his father has died and gone on to Valhalla to better things. He's drinking himself out of his mind in this great revelry and telling himself these lies because he's bothered by what he sees. Death is a catastrophe and nobody facing it is really happy or believes that their works have been enough. All these pagan gods we've been talking about, the, the pantheon of our needs to justify ourselves. Peter again saying, it's not a surprise you find this in the world. What he's setting up is what we're going to we see next. Yeah. It's amazing you find this in the church, right? So he says, but it is a strange thing that diversities and divisions should appear within Christendom. For the Christian church has only one principle of cognition, namely the word of Christ, given by Christ to the church through his apostles and prophets. Only one source of the saving knowledge, therefore only one doctrine, one faith. Moreover, the word of Christ rejects and condemns in the strongest terms the causes of divisions, namely the religion of works. He, he points us to Galatians 2, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Galatians 3, as many of you as are Excuse me. As many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. And on the other hand, Peeper continues, teaches Scripture teaches most clearly that remission of sins is obtained without the works of the law by faith in Christ, whose redemptive work has fully and completely reconciled God with the world. As Romans 3 says, a man is justified by faith, Galatians 2, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus. Further, all Christians experience that faith in reconciliation, in the reconciliation accomplished by Christ that brings peace to the conscience. Therefore, Christians have no need to look about for other means of reconciliation. And he's still kind of leading up to the statement, history, however, presents an entirely different picture of this reality, right? Yeah, I wish with, with works, you know, I think as I'm reading this, I always try to kind of think, okay, what would somebody who's outside of this conversation think when they hear this? And, and I think one of the things that comes to mind is, is it really that simple? I mean, isn't he, isn't he reducing it here? Isn't this oversimplified, the idea that it all comes down to works? But it isn't a matter of oversimplification. I, I think it's a matter of a testimony to the depths of just how focused we are, how fallen we are, our corrupt nature, that it really does have to be about me and what I do. Yeah, I think the complication falls on us. <laughs> you know, the, sim the simplicity of it is is on God in, in the sense that it is that simple. Jesus Christ came, died, rose again, and uh, in him you have forgiveness and eternal life. But, and, and for it to become complicated is definitely uh, uh, a showing on us, and I think we do complicate it. And bringing it back to the simplicity of it is is what cuts through all the all the baloney. I think. Yeah, we, I think we complicate it so that we can avoid it, right? Oh no, this is so difficult. <laughs> Religion is such a such a diverse and contextualized and and relative thing, and it's also that I can just as uh, as Pastor Bobby's both said. Also, I can bring it back to me because what the, the offense here 
is that grace is uh, is my death, right? Uh, grace is is me not being good enough. Uh, grace is is me being put in the grave through Jesus' body on the cross, and I don't. Even as a Christian, now I, I will acknowledge there is a there is a flesh within me that doesn't like that reality, doesn't want to mm-hmm. face that. You know, thankfully, I believe Christian sanctification ultimately is you, you sort of get the sick and twisted love of destruction of your flesh. You know, you kind of like it when you get pointed to how incomplete you are, how imperfect you are. Um, but that that Adam within you, it, he never really enjoys this. He doesn't like this story. No, and and I think that um, I mean, Peter talks about you know. We keep devising new works and new forms of worship. Hmm. I think the simplicity of what he's saying in terms of what the uh, the principle of cognition, as he describes it, also transfers into our understanding of of worship and the simplicity of baptism. I mean, the simplicity of the Lord's Supper and and our desire to complicate things, meaning add more things on based upon what we want to feel or think we need to have in order to be um, in order to be right with God instead of what the scriptures lay out um, what Jesus says yeah, yeah, I can't just gifts. go ahead good no I'm just gonna say just yeah the good gifts that there they are there has to be more like really water in the word how can it do such you know fantastic and wonderful things yeah well oh, you know or they'll try that even with with faith alone like what well, you are, you got to at least believe it, right? You, you got to like really, really believe it at least. You can't, and, and this comes with things like, say, the absolution, um, which is just a, a blanket declaration, or even something, and this is kind of a personal hobby horse of mine, but you know, the the end of the, uh, the, the liturgy with regards to the Lord's Supper, the pastor gives a blessing, and the, the blessing has uh, neither a sub, uh, a sub, is it subjunctive nor a future tense to it is the lord bless you and keep you or, or, or this yep. body and blood of jesus wi- um, not will this body and blood of jesus strengthen you right it just kind of states yep. the effect and i hear guys adding the word may in there may this body and blood strengthen you rather than uh, the implication is i'm making a promise this will strengthen you this is what's going to happen I, i've had conversation yeah. with guys when i say that i'll say well you you can't say may you need you need to at least just say strengthen and and, and take out the subjunctive there, the, the, the maybe-ness of it, and they'll say something like, well, I don't know if they really believe it or not. So they're like withholding ah! the blessing, right, out of fear that someone might not believe enough. When, when What are they supposed to believe? Aren't they supposed to believe that this thing is the thing that's saving them? So you got to tell them that's what it's doing, right? I, you am, am I off? The thing, they can't get nothing to believe in. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you have to be able to put the sign, give the sign in the right way for them to have something to hold on to and not let the possibility of their, whatever the, their belief is to, to, uh, uh, take away from the act. But this internalizing is a big issue, man, because this is, I think one of the ways that we try to, I think sneak works back in because, you know, this was a conversation we were having on Sunday, uh, in my, in our Bible class, we were covering, um, the Lord's prayer, but somebody had a, a question to begin with talking about love as feelings. It was a, it was a college student, you know, trying to understand love with respect to relationships and everything else. Uh, but what we found out as we talked about is that this love as feelings really just does turn in to kind of a, a form of self justification. Like you're here for my needs and everything 
that I do is here to fulfill my needs in the same way that I'm working myself towards God, false or real. It is about me working towards some ideal that I have that is completely from the world and completely outside of what Peeper uh, calls as the, you know, the basic, the source of all true Christianity. So, I mean, it is, I mean, it's rife, just rife in the way that people talk. Yeah. I encounter people, um, yeah, the internalization aspect as, as, as compared to focusing on the objective act of God in Christ, the objective act and work of God through the sacraments and the bold declarations of God's love and peace and, and forgiveness and all those sorts of things that really, it's, it's really, you have folks just continually focusing in on the internal aspects of how much or how little, and it does sneak the works back in because then it's about us and not about about God and what he has done. I hear this language with regards to sanctification a lot, too, as if, you know, justification is taken care of by Jesus. Now, sanctification is where we really start to measure how good we're doing, right? And so, and, and it's, not that sanct- it's not that sanctification doesn't happen. It's not that people redeemed in Christ, brought out of the faith, do not produce good works, and shouldn't be about producing good works. But it's this over-focus on measuring it that really kind of is where uh, the pride— or the despair are both going to come back into the picture, right? Well, and that's, you know, and what's funny is that in the same way that we were talking earlier about the failures of religions, I think that's where you see the failure uh, within the divisions in the church. So like you have a church that doesn't teach correctly about the centrality of justification uh, that God, that you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ for what he has objectively done. Because as soon as you start hedging on that, like you just said, you are going to be moved to either despair or pride because that measuring comes back in. And as soon as the measuring comes back in, in, uh, you're on the defensive. You know, you're trying to figure out where do you fit in to this to this scheme. Yeah, and that gets gets back to where you you know you encounter those folks who um, who you know on on their deathbed are showing you the marks of their life uh, that point to the what their conception of holiness is. You know, whether it be their their family, you know, who may not go to church, but uh, look at how you know great they're doing and everything like that instead of instead of focusing on always focusing on the objective work of God in and through and so you know this the the pushing aside of this of the sacraments as signs that faith holds on to um, uh, automatically puts you in the realm of of thinking about holiness not in terms of Christ holiness given to you declared over you um, but to the holiness that is um, showing itself in your life and whether mm-hmm. there's enough of it and whether there's enough to, to make a go of it. When, I, when I'm when i on my deathbed, I want my pastor, whoever he is, I want him to come in and I want him to send everybody out of the room. I want him to look me in the eye and say, now you tell me the sins you never told anybody else so I can absolve them. And then I'm going to stick this bread and wine into your mouth as the body and blood of your Lord Jesus, and I'm going to let you die. I'll, I'll, I'll say the Lord's Prayer with you if you want to, but I'm really not here to hold your hand. I'm here to absolve your sins. I want him to not take no for an answer from me. I want him to drag it out of me so I can die in peace. Before before we go to break here, um, I just want to overview again this paragraph because we kind of uh, went by it really fast. It's pretty neat how Peeper lays out that the Christian church has this one principle, the word of Jesus. 
in the gospel as opposed to in works. And he, he declares it as scripture teaches, you're not going to be justified by the law. He declares it as teaching that man is justified by faith alone. He shows that uh, we are, because we have just are justified by faith, we have that peace. And then I skipped over. Finally, scripture also says you're not allowed to have any divisions about this. And in view of this, right, this idea, you would think there wouldn't be any divisions in the church, but history has shown a different picture of that. We'll come back to that on the other side of this break here on Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Stick around. Right now, you can double the impact of your giving to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. They got their dollar-for-dollar match. It's back. A fantastic opportunity to help new Christians, new Lutherans in places like Slovakia, Mongolia, and Japan have at their fingertips fantastic biblical resources like the Small Catechism, a children's garden of Bible stories, and Good News Magazine. Did you know that the cost to translate and print one small catechism in a foreign language is only $5? Now imagine just how far that $5 goes as a tool put into the hands of a faithful pastor to help his people learn the language of the Bible, the importance of confessing the same faith once for all delivered to the saints, and of course that proper distinction between law and gospel, that the gospel is that Jesus wants you to be his own and live under him in his kingdom, which is of course why he shed his precious blood for you. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation is working in over 105 languages with over 840 titles published in 95 of those languages. I'm not kidding when I say they're doing phenomenal work all around the globe, and they are certainly worth contacting and supporting with your mission giving. You can learn more about the Lutheran Heritage Foundation at lhfmissions.org. That's lhfmissions.org. Come on, just go ahead right now. Head over, give them five bucks. That'll get two catechisms translated and printed. Totally worth your time. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. In 1924, we embraced the new technology of that day, radio. Since that day, we've stayed on the cutting edge of technology. There are many easy ways to listen to Worldwide KFUO. On the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the gospel of Christ in both word and song. Now that's why you should listen. The where and the how, well, that's up to you. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. What are all the things you witness online in a day? Cats playing piano, selfies on your feed, your friend's picture being turned into a nasty meme that's been shared 50 times, 51, 52. When someone's being bullied online, it's hard to know what to do. Now you can speak up with the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. William Henry Seward was an outspoken abolitionist as Secretary of State under President Lincoln during the Civil War. So much so that Lincoln's assassins also tried to kill Seward that same evening. However, he went on to serve as Secretary of State under Andrew Johnson, assisting in the reconstruction of the South after the Civil War. 
and it was Seward who was largely responsible for the acquiring of the Alaska Territory in 1867, a purchase unjustifiably ridiculed as Seward's folly. William Henry Seward was a man who publicly recognized the impact and influence of the Bible. In 1839, when he was serving as governor of New York, he said, I do in my conscience believe that if at every decade of years a copy of the Bible could be found in every family in the land, its Republican institutions would be perpetuated. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. You've been listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, and KFUO is listener-supported. What we do here at Cross Defense is brought to you by you. And so I got here in studio with me, Mary Schmidt of the Development Department here at KFUO, to talk a little bit about something we call share Yes, we are wanting to invite all of our listeners to tune in to KFUO on April 20th through the 22nd for our annual share fundraising event. Our goal is since 1924 has been to spread the gospel of Jesus worldwide over the radio airwaves and with advances in technology we can reach people now on the internet and it's a great time to partner with us to help us continue this mission for two and a half days we will have special guests joining us on air to talk about how KFUO has made an impact in their lives in their work and in their communities there are various levels of giving support that you can call in and pledge at and each level you will receive a unique thank you gift from KFUO this year's gifts include a KFUO keychain flashlight a KFUO long sleeve button-up shirt, our day sponsorship, a cargo cooler bag, and our KFUO tumbler cup. On top of this, we have a very generous matching gift this year, which means that when you pledge, your gift is doubled. That's twice the gift and twice the impact. As a listener-supported station, we depend on your help and the Lord's blessing to continue spreading the love of Jesus across the globe. So we hope that you will join us for fun on April 20th through the 22nd for share 2017. We know you love the program here at KFUO. That's why you listen, because you know you're always going to get law and gospel. You're always going to get Jesus. And part of that then, us sharing Jesus with you and the world, is you helping us make that happen. share on us how we do that. And uh, doubling your dollar, what more can you ask for? If you love Cross Defense, and I know you do, you definitely need to tune in April 20th through the 22nd and participate in this year's share Welcome back to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. We're the messenger of good news. I know you're hearing it here as we talk about the distinction between law and gospel. That is between works and grace, which really is the only difference between all the religions in the world, which pretty much fall into one big bucket, that of works, and authentic, orthodox, truly Catholic, we call it Lutheran theology, biblical theology, biblical Christianity that teaches grace alone for the sake of Christ alone. And we're dealing with how Dr. Francis Pieper points out that all division anywhere including in the church, maybe especially in the church, is a result of our refusal to believe, as Pastor Bobby said, that simple reality that is objectively achieved for you outside of you in Jesus. You would think Christianity would have a unity in this amazing thing that is the promise around which we gather, the the, the, the faith on which we stand or fall. And yet he then says, bottom of page 22, already in the days of the apostles, the church was troubled with divisions. So this is something that's been going on forever. And then he asked this question, what then causes the divisions in the church? They are not the result of climatic influences, as some say, nor of racial differences, as others say. That is, it's not about whether you live in Poland or Africa. 
right? Whether it's talking about skin color or weather, that has nothing to do with the divisions. It's not a cultural reality. It's not a contextual reality. They are due solely, Pieper says, to the fact that men arose within the church and gained a following who did not continue in the word but proclaimed their own word and as a natural consequence impaired or even wiped out the specific difference of the Christian religion justification by faith. And, and I love, again, the, the clarity here is it's not just that they let go of Scripture, but that when you let go of Scripture, by definition, you're going to teach works. That, that's just what's going to happen. Well, and I think this is what people need to understand. This is, I think this is difficult for a lot of folks just to kind of wrap their minds around. Like, you cannot, you cannot give at all on this. I know that there are a lot of people who will, who will uh, apply, you know, kind of despairing adjectives to Lutherans, you know, especially Missouri Synod, because, you know, we stick so closely to Scripture and, and, and say, look, it's got to be all about the gospel, all about Christ alone, you know, through grace, by faith. And, but the reality is, I mean, people lays it out here. When you start to just even uh, mess with this at all, you have an unraveling. I mean, it goes straight mm-hmm. to the justification by faith, and from there on, you're losing the gospel. Yeah, a little, a little leaven uh, leavens the whole whole batch. You know, I think that that you can't you can't give an inch on this idea of the word because if you're not uh, if you're not basing what you're teaching or believing on the word, you're you're necessarily going to be putting yourself back on what's our natural inclination, which is to to somehow make it about us and, and us pacifying our idea of, of who God is. I think, though, in, in today's modern climate, and, and I should say postmodern, but we're, we're going to kind of get there, too, over the next few weeks as well. People are going to address this by looking specifically at various traditions of Christianity, but you kind of are going to get the, the, the argument, well, don't all Christians use the Bible? I mean, you got your verses, we got our verses. It's it's kind of apparently a matter of interpretation because they say they believe the Bible and they say they believe the Bible and they say they believe the Bible, yet they all disagree. I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong or, or, or go further with it. I think Peeper's answer would be they say they believe the Bible. Let's look at Scripture and find out, right? Well, that's the absurd thing, right? That's like a bunch of people saying, well, I say the earth is flat, and the other half say I think the earth is round. Therefore, we should conclude from this that the earth has no form. I mean, give me a break. I mean, at some point, you literally got to say, okay, what is authoritative there, and how do we actually go and look at this? And that's what Pieper is saying. I mean, nothing should be in a dogmatic except that which is teaching uh, taught in the Word. And when you go to the Word, uh, what you clearly see is that the Christian religion is a religion of of faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and it's not one of works. It's not one of works. And I think that's where they're shifting the focus off the distinction that Peeper just, I mean, so well uh, just narrows in on it and focuses in on, uh, because once it shifts off of that, then all these other kind of, I don't know, non-essential questions that I think just kind of serve as a distraction come back in. Yeah, and um, I think I think you got to, you know, we all have the same Bible. We all believe in the Bible, but you have to investigate exactly what they mean by that. You know, so when Peeper gets on to talking about the Roman Catholic Church, I mean, in the Council of Trent, they lay out, yeah, we believe in the scriptures. Of course, they add the apocryphal ones uh, without distinction to the list of the other books. And then they also say that the only inter- way to interpret this is the is to follow the interpretation of the of the, the Holy Mother Church. And so you are automatically adding in something to just the word and sort of the word normed by other parts of the word. 
which is, you know, a hermeneutic where scripture interprets scripture. And I think that at least in that tradition, once you've investigated it, you find that, that, yeah, they believe in the scriptures, but when it comes down to it, they, it's, it's a half hearted sort of belief or a supplemented belief. And when you supplement it, you're supplementing it with works righteousness. What you say there about uh, the word normed by other parts of the word, I think, is pretty important. I mean, Scripture interpreting Scripture, your average Lutheran probably has heard that phrase, but I'm trying to tell a story here to, to put it into, into context. A conversation I once had with a, a liberal Lutheran who was becoming a Baptist and was asking me, in, in good conscience, to try to explain why we believed what we believe about baptism as as she was leaving uh, that that belief system. So, saying, well, so why are you holding this position? And I, I gave her Colossians 2. I gave her Acts uh, 2. I gave her First Peter 3. I, I gave her um, uh, Romans 6. We went to all of that. And it, you know, I spent maybe 15 minutes kind of moving through all those passages, maybe a little bit more. And then she looked at me, and in all honesty, there was no malice here. There was no intention to deceive. But in all honesty, said, well, because I, I've talked with them, and, and they have their verses too. And so I guess I'm just going to have to accept that they have their verses and you have your verses. And I wish I'd had the presence of mind. I, I probably wouldn't have said it well. I would have been too excited. But to, to just say, no, 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 we have all the verses. Their verses, <laughs> we believe those are true also. We just don't throw out these ones. We keep them as well. And that's Scripture interpreting Scripture, right? So uh, Norman Nagel told the story a different way. When you get, Whenever you're reading the Bible, you, every verse you read, you have a little box somewhere in your head and you put it in that box. So the question is, what do you do with your theological system when you get a verse and it doesn't fit in a box? And Lutheranism tries very hard. It is our formal principle to not not put a verse in a box, to not let it be thrown away, to not let it fall through the cracks, but to hold to what it says, and even if that means things don't make sense, right? Election, yeah. the Trinity, the Incarnation, the sacraments, right? We, we, we let our brains die so that all the verses can be held together. Yeah, and that, and that uh, I, don't, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but that really distinguishes us from the Reformed tradition, you know, because of right. those places where they can't fit stuff into boxes, they end up creating a new dogmatic that's not grounded in Scripture. But it applies to the Romans, you were saying just a moment ago, too. I mean, they've effectively thrown out all these verses he's given from Galatians and Romans about justification. They sweep aside with one verse from James yanked out of its context. And so they hold up that verse as if it's the only verse. We would take James chapter 2 and say, yeah, that's, it's absolutely true. You're justified by your works in front of your neighbor. Your, your neighbor's not going to believe you're a good person if you don't do yeah. good works, right? So we'll hold all the verses. They pull just some of the verses. I kind of interrupted you there, Sam. You want something? No, I was just agreeing. I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, just the, it's interesting because we have a men's morning Bible study that's finished up with James. And I think the reason they wanted to go through it was specifically because they hear people quoting that all the time to go back to what we were saying earlier as a way of measuring uh, sanctification and bringing this in and using these as uh, passages to justify that. But when you go and you start looking at it and, and you use scripture to interpret scripture and you actually look at what James is saying, none of that really holds. And it makes me wonder how often when people pull these scripture passages out of context, how much do they actually go back and look at the overall argument of what is being said. I just it just causes me to wonder sometimes. Yeah, I don't think it happens a, a great deal, frankly. And in, in 
I wouldn't have done it either, except for that I was taught it at the seminary. And so that was always kind of a goal of mine. Good context, point. context, context to teach it to people. You know, you're reading this book is not a dictionary where you go and each verse is its own little piece that stands entirely on its own. Uh, this is actually, well, a story, a set of histories, a set of letters. And as little as I can take a, a letter from your grandma uh, that says she's given you a million dollars, pull out that line about grandma's giving you a million dollars and apply it to me. So little can I do that to any verse in the Bible, unless, unless it says to do so, and to do that, I got to read the whole section, the whole, um, the whole book, the whole testament, <laughs> even. Well, I, I'd like to go back. One of the things that you mentioned that struck me when I first read this is um, right there at the bottom of page 22. They are not the result of climatic influence or, as some say, nor of uh, racial differences, as others say. What's interesting is I read this. I mean, this is almost, uh, you know, seen down the road, premonitory, like premonition of what's going to be coming yeah. in the future. Because so often the way that people deal with with religion in Christianity is to try to explain it away through other causes so that the heart of the message, I think, loses its accusatory tone, the very thing that uh, uh, forces you uh, to come to terms with who God is. Well, I, I wonder, you know, you to this very day in American churches, you have racially segregated churches, and this is in spite of the uh, the civil rights movement. This is in spite of the clear proclamation of Scripture that it, there is neither Jew nor Greek, that all nations are one in Christ, and we still uh, do segregate racially, not entirely, but but quite a bit. I mean, you got you got the Korean Reformed, you got the, the Black Episcopal Methodists, you know, and and, yep. and you got the very German white Missouri Synod Lutherans, right? And and it would be easy as a secularist to look at that and say, oh, it's all just a matter of their culture. Um, I will admit that our culture does play a part in how we act, but that's what we got to repent of, <laughs> frankly, you know, right, uh, right. and that the, the path to unity as church is coming back to scripture and finding that common reality, which should be the common reality that every church body, even if they are heterodox, is saying Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Jesus Christ's death paid for the sins of the world. That means that means you even if we put a caveat on it, like, uh, well, like the Romans do. But, you know, if we're going to think critically, if, you know, uh, you know, if we're going to have our Lutheran confessional ears open, um, whenever somebody goes to these alternative explanations to why there's divisions, it's cultural, it's this or the other thing, they're still going to want to try to unify the entire system under something. And we talked about rationality earlier. Mm. Oftentimes that's the case, like, oh no, there's some sort of rational principle that explains away all of religion or some notion of tolerance. But notice, at least this is what Pieper does so great, none of these things are Jesus. None of these are, you know, uh, first century Jew dying on the cross for your sins, rising from the dead so you can have salvation, eternal life. So, you know, ding, 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 be aware when you start hearing that language that you are going to lose the gospel. Yeah, and and I mean, well, I couldn't help when reading that part thinking, too, I've never read uh, the Nietzsche, Nietzsche St Stefan dogmatics that he, but I, I imagine that that the idea, you know, there's divisions in Acts, which some people, you know, the, the division that, that came about because of the baptism of Cornelius' household and the relationship between Gentiles and, and Jews, that you could chalk that up to cultural divisions. But what you see at the end is that their unity in Christ takes the day, even if there is some, there is um, by the church a, a teaching to bear with each other's cultural differences. 
and not at the expense of of the gospel um, in the sense that the Gentiles are not uh, required to be circumcised in order to be a full members of God's people in Christ. I mean, isn't that exactly what Galatians is about? Is they're saying this is a cultural issue and Paul's saying, no, it's not, <laughs> right? Uh, it, it, is, it is so not just a matter of, uh, of being Jew or Gentile. This is about the gospel itself. Meat offered to idols would be another example that comes up. Or for the Gentiles, you know, being able to go to the local uh, fertility cult and participate in that. No, this is not a matter of your culture. You're not allowed to do this. This impacts law and gospel and the fidelity of, of the headship of Christ and all these things, right? So th- there is no truly uh, contextualized issue if and when it obscures Christ, as as you were saying, Sam. Well, and I think that's the whole point. I think why he brings up the climatic influences and the racial differences, because even in his day, even way much more today, people are finding alternative reasons for the divisions. And I think the point that he's trying to make here is as soon as you do that, you're just sneaking back in another form of the law, aren't you? I mean, you're sneaking in some sort of rationality. You're you're, you're basing your critique on some version of the world, some worldview, some vision of the universe whereby you can make sense of this such that you can diffuse uh, what Christ is actually up to and the reality that, you know, um, there's one way. There's one way. Even if we see the point for a moment that, like, the cultural differences between various groups kept them from coming together as a unified Christianity because they were clinging to their Germanism or clinging to whatever other culture that they have, that would not undo Peeper's point. It would only show that they've decided that their culture is a greater work than trusting in the gospel. Yeah, which is like what you said, something we need to repent of, they need to repent of. Yeah, yeah. So on page 23, uh, kind of the rest of this section here, he then uh, continues to make this point as he always does, first going to the scriptures. So he mentioned that there were divisions even in the early church. So he says, divisions in the apostolic church arose because men refused to recognize the word of the apostles as the word of God and offered the church in place of the word of God their own human notions. This is clearly stated by Paul in Romans 16, 17, a verse I I might add, by the way, that nobody really wants to believe. Rarely do you find people who love this verse. Now I beseech you, brothers, mark them who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Um, Those are fighting words. In the church in Corinth, men engaged in the same business. They regarded themselves as prophets and spiritual, but in spite of this, rather for this very reason, They denied the divine authority of the word of the apostles and thus compelled Paul to utter the strong words, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. At the same time, these men made it their business to supplant the doctrine of salvation by grace with the religion of works. And in Corinth particularly... The religion that they were teaching was this kind of uh, super spirituality. They were they were taking the the spiritual charismatic gifts of healing and prophecy and whatever else the apostles had in that time at least given to the Christians there, and they were making them a basis for I'm a better Christian than you are. I got tongues, you don't. Too bad, haha. And uh, you, you wonder why the apostles kind of stopped giving those gifts at a certain point. You know, it was like all you guys do is use them for yourselves, jerks. I'm going to take away all your toys, I say to my kids when they're not sharing. You know. uh, that's Paul's no, that's a, right there. Yeah, uh, yeah I think that, uh, you know, getting, a, getting away from, from the word 
and 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 not just the apostles' word, uh, but then you know Paul even says, "What I'm writing to you are the commandments of the Lord," which for the churches of the generations after the apostles, that becomes the rule and norm, the written word. And um, unless you take that idea seriously, um, you're going to be uh, looking for other things to sort of supplement it. And I love the simplicity of the argument, right? Like, here's God's word, all right? There's no way, as sinful fallen people, we can understand or figure God out, what he's up to in Christ. So you have God's word, which reveals that. And it's very simple. Anything else? Human notion. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right, so right. There you go. Is, is this something else? It's human notion. Uh, Jacob had mentioned this, uh, or Pastor Bobby had mentioned this earlier. Uh where do you find that in the Bible? <laughs> Where's that in Scripture? You know, hey, pastor, you know, I'm dying. Look at my family. Isn't this a great comfort? Whoa, whoa. Where, <laughs> where's that? I don't remember seeing that anywhere. Human notions. I love that because that, to me, when you have an argument that is that straightforward, that's powerful. It's powerful, and it's, and it's, and it's an easy kind of argument to understand and to use in a lot of different contexts. And it's not as though human notions are all bad all the time. It's okay to like pizza, right? It's okay to put together a car engine. Those are human notions. Great. No problem with them, right? The problem is when you start believing these things have some religious value. I've even thought this about things like various Eastern religions. Let's just take yoga for a second. And they, they figured out that, you know, if you lie on the ground and stretch for 30 minutes a day, it's like really good for your body, it's, you know? <laughs> but then they start making a religion out of the dang thing and telling you that it's also good for your eternal soul. And, and that's where the problem is. Now we've taken a human notion and we've replaced the gospel with it. And by definition, then, all these human notions, they exist in the realm of the law. And therefore, even stretching isn't going to keep your body from dying forever, right? And you gotta, you're got you going to still hit that moment where you can get excited about maybe becoming a cow um, or, or a worm in the next age, which I couldn't get excited about either of those things myself. <laughs> well, maybe if you become a chicken, you'll end up in Bloomfield, Nebraska. <laughs> no! <laughs> I just got to the warmer weather. Don't take me back. Fate worse than death for the chicken. At least for a while. For a while, you'll be all right until you uh, stop laying, I think. So Paul Paul then is quoted by, by Peeper again here at the end of the paragraph. And, and we do just kind of, I think this is a good one to kind of end our discussion kind of riffing on here. He expresses his amazement over this apostasy. It, it, it's what, and this is the whole point Peeper's been making. It's one thing to to see it in the world. Of course, the the heathen have nothing else to come up with. All they're going to do is the same thing over and over again. But once you've been in the gospel, how is it even possible for you to return to a, a religion of works? And so Paul expresses his amazement over the apostasy of the Galatians. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And from this sharp polemic against the advocates of the gospel of works, he says, though we or an angel from heaven, that is the apostles themselves or Gabriel or Michael, preach another gospel unto you, let him be accursed. And he even says, I would that they were cut off, those who trouble you. All of this being uh, Paul's, Paul's shock at the attempt to get rid of the word of the apostles and the central teaching of Christianity and his recognition then, and this is kind of what we should take from it, that it is that attempt which is the still, to this very day, the only actual cause of divisions in the church. 
Yeah, you know, and uh, like you said earlier, when I when I said human notions, the, there are a lot of, of good human notions, but what he sums it up here is when these human notions try to supplant the authority of God's word. Um, and, and, and he has a right to be amazed at this because of the wonderful message that is given us uh, in the gospel. Uh, you know, it, it does make you want to stop. And I, and I suppose for us who are Lutheran, we kind of all, oh, you know, we understand the importance of grace. Or like you said, the mortification of the flesh, this is even something that in a kind of weird kind of perverse way, like this is good, you know, that we're recognizing our own depravity because we have to rely upon Christ. Um yeah, so I mean, so I think his amazement is well justified because it is such a a, a wonderful message. Uh, but at the same time, it is so easy for those human notions to kind of be given authority over and against God's word. It just it it happens. It happens all the time. And as Scripture, all the way back to apostolic times, um, has been going on for quite a while. Yeah, it's it's amazing, and at the same time that we are, you know, uh, saint and sinner, there's going to be the marks of our sinfulness that we see displayed in the church. And so, but I think that the scandal of it should always be there because that's what brings us to repentance. And, and I think Paul does a good job of saying, what? Come on, you know, in order to kind of bring people back around. I mean, I, it's almost, uh, you know, I, I find myself using this this homiletical move a lot when I when I preach like what? Come on, come on. You know, which which Paul, I think, is, is using here to to say, um, um, come back. I mean, obviously, obviously you've gotten off off the mark and that's understandable. Yet at the same time, come back around and and don't get pulled away by any of the human notions that you propped up as, as somehow being efficacious for salvation. Yeah. And I, I think it would be fitting um, for us as pastors, just as the church to use this anytime division comes up, if we could bring it back to what Peeper's talking about here, just the simple points that he's making, like, look, there's only two kinds of religions. There's only one cause of division works and let people think about that and chew on that and realize what that means. There's one authority in this. It's God's word, which reveals to us who Christ is and what he's done for us. I think it would behoove us to, to kind of always bring it back so that people are reminded that, hey, this issue that you see, uh, the Lutheran confessions, which you see, the doctrine upon which you see the church stand and fall, this idea of justification, it really is that important. It really is. The particular yeah, mission yeah. of... Go, go ahead, Jacob. We just got a minute left. Oh, go I, ahead. I, just, I say that move also necessarily displaces us as an authority and gets it back to the to, to the word of God. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, which is where it needs to be done, dealt with. The particular mission of the Lutheran Church is the unification of Christianity by trusting in the word of God. And there is no more valuable heritage that we could remember at this 500th anniversary of the Reformation than that the Augsburg Confession is intended to be an ecumenical document. It is intended to be a document around mm. which Christianity finds its heart and soul from Scripture in justification unto our life together as people. My guest today on Cross Defense, Pastor Samuel Bobby of St. Paul's Lutheran Church, Aberdeen, South Dakota, Pastor Jacob Bobby of First Trinity, Bloomfield, Nebraska. Gentlemen, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for being on with me today. 
Thank yeah, you, Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, thank you. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. And we certainly hope that you heard that good news in this last hour. Cross Defense is underwritten for you by the Luther Academy. You can check them out as well at lutheracademy.com. Get in touch with them and let them know how much you appreciate their work, including bringing you Cross Defense here on KFUO. You know, I think that what the two pastors were saying is quite right, that Paul and Peeper alike were using a bit of rhetoric there with their amazement. They're trying to, to they aren't really surprised that Christians forget the gospel because the thing is, the idea that I could never forget the gospel is a thought my flesh has had. That's not a thought the gospel has promised me or God's word has spoken to me. It's my flesh presuming upon itself to be capable of even holding on to this kind of good news and not recognizing that it has to be constantly poured into me from the outside. So it isn't amazing that we find divisions in the church. Paul also prophesied that this would happen. What is amazing is that the God who sees us both corrupting the world and even destroying the church he sent to save the world continues to insist on sending his spirit to save this world anyway to do so by telling you about what he's done in Jesus on the cross to make sure that that message in spite of us never disappears from the church and even though it be in a corner even though it be in a remnant is going to be preached is going to be heard is going to save lives and that means you so hold fast until that uh, come hear it again next week here on Cross Defense check it out at your local church for sure and as always rock on Thank you.